This is Reaching the Finish Line. And I'm your host, Callan Diggs. Check out the website, www.reachingthefinishline.com. And pick up my free report. Save up to 75% what they don't want you to know. ReachingTheFinishLine.com And welcome. Today I am delighted to have Troy Hazard. Troy is a serial entrepreneur and a former global president of the Entrepreneurs Organization. He is the founder and owner of 12 businesses in the last 25 years and an author of the Amazon best-selling book, Future Proofing Your Business. Uh, Troy has also been a former cable TV talk show host of Getting Down to Business uh, that has broadcasted via TiVo as well as the Biz TV cable network reaching over 20 million people each week. Troy, welcome. Hi, mate. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm, I am so delighted to have you because I think you're one of the great voices to speak uh, regarding uh, entrepreneurship. Uh, so, there, so often I talk about these three common paths of entrepreneurship. I mean, there's other paths we get involved in franchising, but typically the, the three common paths I always talk about are lifestyle entrepreneurship, serial entrepreneurship, and then social entrepreneurship, and yeah. uh, and for yourself, uh, you know, you know, you you know, uh, having over twelve businesses, uh, having twelve businesses in the last twenty five years, I think you're a great person to speak about that. But let's kind of backtrack and kind of ask you the question of, you know, how did Troy get started on his entrepreneurial journey? You know, was, <laughs> was it family related? How did you get started? Well, my family's been in business for forever as was my grandfather so there's been a history of of uh entrepreneurism i suppose you could say in the in the family over the years and i've, I've you know watched them as i grew up but the the real story is that uh, i'd like to say it was a dynasty but it wasn't the, the real story is that i was working for a radio station in brisbane and uh, in, in australia where I, I used to live and uh I went to the general manager one day and I said, look, I've been working really hard for the last six months. I'm putting in 80-hour days every day. You know, I need either some help or a pay rise. And he said, well, how about a holiday? And I said, yeah, that'd be great. He said, good, you're fired. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I found myself jobless in a matter of minutes. You know, And, and in media, when you uh, ask to leave, you pretty much pack your bags that hour and you're out of the building before end of day. So... Uh, I went home and I, I uh, turned the news on and, and it was talking about the property boom in Australia and how it was going quite well at the time. And I rang my mother, who was an interior decorator, and I said, look, I'm going to sell my apartment, I think, and I think I might go out there and fix properties and renovate them and flip them and sell them. And, and you know, maybe you'd like to do that with me and you can do the decorating and I'll do the deals and you know, we'll fix them together. And she said, that's a great idea, Troy, except you're not very handy. <laughs> so uh, I said, yeah, we'll go and find people to fix that bit. And, and anyway, we we did go out and we, we renovated 13 properties over the next 18 months and did quite well out of it. And that's probably where the journey started. Ah, very interesting. And uh, so would you say that, you know, uh, the real, kind of the real estate, uh, the entry level, kind of the different, like, you know, wholesaling, rehabbing, would you say that it's the same in Australia as in the U.S.? Is there similarities? Look, I still think there's probably better opportunity here at the moment. Uh, we're actually looking at a number of opportunities in Florida right now uh, because the market's still 
a little bit soft here in different places. Uh, that, I'm talking about the mid-80s in Australia, and, and we had a, a very big boom going on at that time. I, I think the similarities between the two countries, um, uh, there's a lot of good opportunity for startup entrepreneurs in the bottom end of the market. So by way of example, we were buying homes for eighty dollars to $100,000 and then putting a, a limited amount of money and time into them and putting them back out on the market six weeks, eight weeks later for 140, 130. So we were making a little bit of money out of a lot of uh, volume. And I think that's where some people come unstuck. They think they're going to go out and make a bunch of dough on the first deal. And the reality is if you can, you know, in our world anyway, if you can make 20 or 30,000 bucks and turn them over quickly, that's still a good year. Yeah, and, and you're right. I think that's the fallacy. A lot of people think mm. uh, when they get involved in real estate, they're going to make these huge uh, five-figure, six-figure profits. Well, and that's just simply right. not realistic uh, whatsoever. Often, many people, they get involved into, uh, especially here in the U.S. I, I can only speak for the U.S., but they get involved into wholesaling. Uh, they start doing that and where they essentially they buy a property for one price and then they sell it for another price. But Today is still a good deal for the mm. end buyer, so, and, and that's how a lot of people get started. And uh, I always tell people, you know, when you're getting started, don't be greedy. Just you know, get the deal done, and, and eventually, as you gain more experience, uh, you could you could command, uh, you know, uh, kind of higher fees. But moving on, uh, talking about uh, you know, talking about serial entrepreneurship, and then how you got started in real estate, and you was very successful in that. So, what was the next step from there? Um, uh, uh, Troy, that prompted you to go in a different direction? Well, it, it was almost like a, a backward step, really, because we made um, some money out of real estate and then the market softened a little bit, so we got out. And I went back to my roots, I suppose, and, and we built a recording studio because when I was working in radio, I was, I was an, engineer, an audio engineer, so I knew that uh, area of the business very well and I had a couple of mates that were good musicians and so we partnered up and we built a studio and, and focused on doing uh, jingles for advertising. Uh, and, and look, while it was a passion, it sort of didn't make a lot of money. Uh, yeah, we, we, we ate, but we didn't eat very well. And it, but what it did do was it, it taught me a lot about uh, the, the structure and the strategy of business. When we were flipping houses, there was no strategy. It was just find a cheap deal, beat the heck out of the real estate agent, uh, get it for as cheap as you could, sell it as quickly as you could. So there's no real strategy. We just, you know, we were working day to day. But when we started working in a real business that had real employees and real cash flow issues and real marketing issues, those years uh, were very, very helpful to me because it started to get my head around how we needed to go into a business to know we could actually get out of it. Great. Lots, yeah, lots of small business people don't think of that. They go into business starry-eyed, but the reality is the only way to get into business is to know how you're going to get out of it when you get into it. That is very key. And I'm glad you brought that up, Troy, because I think a lot of people, they tend to miss that. You know, mm. they, they, they get so confident, I want to be my own boss. You know, I'm tired, I, I hate my current boss, I want to be my own boss. But they, they don't typically have an exit strategy once they get into their business. They, they don't know if they want to eventually end up selling it or maybe merging with somebody. Or, you know, they have no idea. And no. then often, uh, you know, they're kind of surprised, but there's no wonder why uh, those businesses often fail because they don't have a mission statement, they don't have a vision, they don't have a business plan, they don't have an exit strategy. Yeah. And those are the essential things that every entrepreneur needs as uh, you know, before going into any venture. So mm. if we could uh, uh, continue, uh, this is a dual question. At <laughs> what point did you move to the U.S.? And then, yeah. at, and then at what point did uh, you get involved 
in 2006 of becoming the president of the entrepreneurs organization. Did you move to the U.S. because you feel like there was more opportunity there or what spurred yeah. that? Well, probably more of a challenge. Uh, and so the, so to, to go back to 2006, that was the year that I uh, served as global president of the Entrepreneurs Organization. We had four different companies at the time. They were all going pretty well, but you know, I was working ridiculous hours and traveling every other day. I think I did about 160 aircraft flights that year uh, and, and about 80 speaking engagements along the way at different functions around the world. So I kind of got to the end of the year and the holidays at, at about now, actually, about this time of year. And I just ran out of steam. I just, I, you know, it wasn't burnout. It was more just tired, just tired inside after 20 years of working so hard. So we set about selling a lot of things in 2007 and making life a bit easier. And uh, I wrote a book about this experience of, you know, getting so far in business, feeling like you've kind of made a bit of a success of yourself, but at the same time feeling a bit empty and lost because you really don't know what that what meant to you what's your purpose what you know where are you going with this what what's the end game it does more equal more or is there a real reason for you you know trying to make a difference in the world so the book that i wrote through 2007 was released in the united states in 2008 and by that stage we'd pretty much wound down every business we had in australia and sold it or broken it up or you know pretty much tied it up in a box and uh, so i said to my then fiance now wife i said look, if this goes okay in America and the book does well, why don't we stay for a while? Because we've got no reason to stay in Australia and it could be a bit of fun and we'll, you know, we'll hang out and life might be a bit easier. It's a bigger market. It's a bit of a challenge. We'll travel together. We, we didn't have any children at the time. So, you know, there's an opportunity for us just to enjoy a bit of life and then see what's next, maybe. So that's kind of where it started and we're still here. <laughs> with two. <laughs> yeah, I see. And um, so next question was, how many businesses uh, kind of were you up to before you became the president of the entrepreneurs organization? You know, yeah, where you're kind of like, you know, you know, a quarter of the way in, you know, six businesses in. No, I'm kind of, I'm just kind of doing the math in my head now. We we uh, we had four businesses at the time I became president, doing different things in franchising, and uh, in technology and a few other bits and pieces. Okay. But uh, since then, I've really only had two things I've focused on. When we got here, uh, my focus was television and speaking and writing my second book, Future Proofing Your Business. Uh, and uh, we're, we're getting into some property at the moment because my wife is actually a carpenter. So it's handy that she wears the tool belt and uh, can fix those things for me now. Uh, and we've got another investment in a company called Toolworks, which is a retail and uh, service pool business. So we, we clean pools and we we sell pool stuff through our retail stores, and we've got 17 stores uh, in California, uh, Phoenix, and uh, across to Florida, and uh, 50 trucks going around servicing pools. So I'm a shareholder and director in that business. And so there's probably only been two real businesses since 2006 that we focused on. I, I kind of peddled off a little bit and you know, sat back and had a bit of time on the beach and right. spent a lot of time with the kids in the last couple of years as they grew up, which has been kind of nice. So. It's been a little bit quieter time, but still quite interesting. Yeah, very impressive. I could imagine at any time when uh, any entrepreneur has that workload, you know, you definitely want to scale down because eventually, you know, the meaning of life is to be with your be with your family and, and enjoy yeah. those precious moments and to be able to see your kids grow up. And because a lot, because often, par often parents they work so hard, mm. and those precious moments that the kids want to spend with their parents. 
the, the parents are only to spend with them, and then their kids, you know, get all grown up and they don't have that connection they have with their parents because yeah. their parents were so busy working so hard. So I, so I, I commend you. I, I think more, more people, uh, more people who are parents, uh, need to be more conscious of that. You know, especially as they get older, especially as their kids get older. And if we could, if we could backtrack, uh, if we could backtrack a bit and kind of talk about your experience with the. Uh, uh, being the president of the, of the Entrepreneurs Organization. Mm. For people who don't know, uh, the Entrepreneur Organization is one of the top one of the top three uh, entrepreneur organizations in the world, if not the top one in the U.S. Mm. And, I, and and perhaps you could you can kind of you could you kind of share that experience with us because you know kind of being a president, you know, obviously a lot of people were were looking up to you. Obviously, you were a model, you were a beacon mm. uh, for that period of time. Perhaps you could share some insights, some challenges, and some. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so look, it is a it's a very prestigious organisation. Uh, to join it, you have to uh, uh, have have a company that you own, and it has to do more than a million dollars in revenue. And and I think the average age in the organisation is about thirty eight years of age, and I think the average revenue of the uh, my member company is about fourteen million. So mm. it, they're pretty smart guys and girls. And and I started as a volunteer leader in the organisation back in nineteen ninety six. So there was a 10 year run up to that global board and president spot. And the answer is yes, it was very challenging. You're kind of a leader of leaders who lead leaders, who lead leaders, who lead staff. Uh, and I got asked in an interview some years back, what, what, what you know, can you describe it in one sentence? And I said, yeah, it's kind of like uh, putting a, a tuxedo on a monkey. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're trying to lead a bunch of A-type personalities with uh, opinions on things and they're smart guys and girls and reckon they can do the job better than you and probably they could. So it, it, it certainly helped me hone, hone some of my leadership skills. But I think more importantly what it did is it opened my eyes to a, a more global opportunity in business and a more universal opportunity to learn from people who are not in my industry or who have absolutely nothing to do with uh, where I work geographically or how I work as an entrepreneur. And I think that was probably the biggest key for me as a leader. I got to travel the world and talk to these guys and girls and it really did change the course of how we did business. And we became so much more efficient and effective just by listening to some of the guys and girls and, and how they ran their businesses. And that was probably the biggest asset of the position uh, next to all the challenges of leading leaders. I just want to take a moment to tell you about DreamHost. DreamHost.com is the award-winning web hosting service rated by PC Magazine. With their current rates and positive reviews, I couldn't think of a better company to recommend. You can get $10 off a one-year hosting plan or $25 off a two-year hosting plan when you use the promo code Callen, K-A-L-L-E-N. DreamHost.com, PC's magazine best web hosting service. We're talking with Troy Hazard. Troy is the former global president of the Entrepreneurs Organization. He's also the Amazon best-selling author of the book Future Proofing Your Business. Uh, recently, we were just talking with Troy about uh, some of his past uh, entrepreneurial experiences uh, in, in recording, uh, in real estate, uh, as well as, as his pool as well as his pool franchises. And Troy, I want to continue because uh, I think this is I think this is the point where you know the uh, entrepreneurs, aspiring, struggling ones, they're intrigued, but they want to kind of get some insights. They want to get some contrast. Yeah. Now, now, what would you suggest, Troy, as far as 
let's you know well let, let's start with let's start with the aspiring entrepreneurs mm -hmm. aspiring entrepreneurs who are getting started but one of their worries is capital mm -hmm. what would be your recommendations yeah and, and look this is the biggest problem i think we have as a startup business person uh, anywhere in the world uh, everyone uh, has a great idea they believe in themselves they believe in the romance of being in business but the reality is it's the age old saying it takes twice as long costs twice as much and it's twice as hard and i think i would fell into the same category we, we didn't have enough capital uh, on a number of our early projects early businesses and and it made it hard because when you haven't got capital and you haven't got access to capital the only way to fix it is to pedal faster and sell more stuff and and if you don't have that drive or that ability to be able to put in back to back, back to back 20 hour days, then you start to get a bit frustrated and your frustration then comes out in the way you act with your customers and your and your team. And then you start to get in this spiral. So key for it, I think, is uh, make sure that there's a buffer there that you are going to be able to ride some of those early bumps because it does get tough. And the worst time to be asking for money is when you need it. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, people can smell the fear. And and so if you do happen to need capital and you're looking to family or friends to try and raise that or you know the bank or any sort of um, uh, venture capital or private equity or, or angel investor, be clear that when you enter those conversations, you know exactly what you want to do with your business in the early days and act as if you almost don't need the money, but you'd like to have the money to make sure that your ride will be a little bit more uh resilient in the early years of your of your career i think that's excellent advice troy it's kind of segueing because because you have experience you you develop uh you know some of the business that you have successfully developed have been in marketing and in advertising mm -hmm. what would you suggest the strategic approach for an entrepreneur to take and marketing and advertising a business kind of kind of Let's, let's say someone who doesn't have a huge budget, but what would be the most efficient and effective way for them to stand out from their competitors? Yeah, I think uh, if, you, if you're in your early days and you are a bit tight on your budget, uh, everyone still seems to think that they've got to be out there spending money on search engine or uh, electronic media or those sort of things. The reality is that the easiest and simple way to get going in the early days is to focus on how you develop relationships with those you choose to serve. Find the customer, find what their need is, meet that need, and then build a relationship around how you're going to demonstrate you do that to them. So in our companies, we have a very simple philosophy. We build relationships by being more distinctive, by being more emotive, and by being more collaborative. And if we can focus on those three things, then what we found over the years is that we distinguish ourselves uh, uh, far more uh, differently to anybody else in the marketplace. And as a result, we cut through the clutter of all of our competitors because we're looking for their need, we're serving their need, and when then we're demonstrating that to them by being more distinctive, emotive, and collaborative. It's really simple, it's basic, but I think we've lost our way a bit in the last 10 years. Everyone thinks that social media is going to save the world, and the reality is it's just another thing that we have to think about. It's not going to save the world. The, the thing that still saves the world is building relationships with people and the community that they live in. Yeah, yeah. I always tell people that social media is just uh, it's just another form of uh, content. Yep. 
distribution yep. uh, to syndicate your content on multiple platforms uh, because people uh, consume content different ways, mm -hmm. whether it's visually, auditorily. Uh, you know, some people, uh, you know, may prefer a, a more hands-on approach, like mm -hmm. a, a do-it-yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, but often, you know, there's people, I mean, there's millions of social media users. And, uh, you know, I, I agree with you. When people think that, you know, social media is going to save the world, uh, that's just simply a misnomer. Yeah. You know, I, I, I often, sadly, I see people, you know, they, they try to build a brand and, and they invest so much time in social media and they're surprised why they're not having any success. Yep. Because uh, it's, it's, it's not the in all to be all. You know, it's only one tool of many tools yeah. uh, to be yeah. able to uh, target your well, audience. There's many things that you can do quite simply and effectively. It's about thinking a bit, being a bit clever about it. And I'll give you one very brief example. Uh, we have about probably 80 people that I deal with uh, in my speaking business, uh, agents that book me throughout the course of the year. One of the simple things I do every year is coming up to the holiday season on the last day that everyone's going to be likely to be at work. I get on the phone and I, I ring every one of them. They're not there. They've already left for the holidays. But I leave, ring every one of them and leave a voicemail message and just say, thanks for your business this year. We really enjoyed working with you. We really appreciate you thinking of me every year. And we look forward to working with you next year. And do you know that that simple thing for two hours of my life, leaving a phone message, is the single biggest marketing thing we do every year. <laughs> and it costs me 80 phone calls. <laughs> Wow. It doesn't take much if you just think a bit laterally. And the reason I bring that story up is that my competitors don't do that. So that makes me distinctive. It's an emotive connection, and I'm telling them I want to keep collaborating with them next year. And that's, you know, that's the sort of simple stuff that young entrepreneurs have to think about when they're getting into business. How can I set myself apart from my competitors without having to put my hand in my pocket for it? Right. Let's kind of delve into the speaking uh, business because I think it's a I think it's an area where people uh, want to be more involved in, but you know they, they you know they're not clear on the most efficient and effective way uh, to get in. It may be an author who wants more speaking engagements, yeah. or it may be let's say uh, maybe a music artist yeah. who wants to connect with their constituents. Maybe he's a filmmaker, or maybe or, or or whatever. You know how how would you know? Let's use the word influencer. How would these types of influencers, uh, you know, you know, be able to start creating momentum and get involved? in a speaking world be successful? Yeah, and it's a good question, and I'm probably not the best person to ask because I kind of fell into it. It wasn't a career path for me as much as it was something that just gained momentum over a number of years. But the, 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 the fundamentals of the speaking business is that there's, there's 13,000 speakers in the United States that are members of the National Speakers Association, and there's only 1,000 of them that earn more than 200 grand a year. So, so wow. everybody else is kind of eating baked beans. And, and the, the reason for that is they don't, find, they don't spend enough time developing their craft. I mean, even, even now, I'm, I'm fortunate I'm in that top 10% uh, and it's taken you know, 20 years to get there. But even today, I spend 30 minutes a day watching video of other speakers or other presentations from people all over the world because I want to hear what's going on and what's popular, what people want to listen to. I want to gather new ideas, and new information. And, and that's me doing my morning exercise. Most speakers won't do that. They'll put together an hour of content. They'll think that everyone's going to love it. They'll go out there and end up selling themselves at you know a couple of bucks an hour just to keep their food, keep food on the table, as opposed to working and developing the content that you are trying to deliver to make sure that it is relevant. People do care about it, but you are credible in that particular field, 
and they will walk away learning something and being better people from listening to you after you've wasted an hour of their time, essentially. You know, you, you, you're, you're taking up time and precious time for these individuals. Make it, worth, make it worthwhile for them. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard a saying goes that the second most fear besides dying is public speaking. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, it could be terrifying, you know, especially if you're speaking to, uh, you know, a hundred plus people yeah. can be terrifying for some people. Yeah. Uh, you know, typically, you know, it's one thing to speak to 10 people, but once you add a zero to that, uh, it can definitely uh, cause a lot more anxiety uh, for a person. And I, I would imagine, you know, all that requires practice now would you say you know, now would you record would you say uh probably you know the nsa is a good organization yeah. to get started with yeah. uh toastmasters what would you say toastmasters i think is a good place to practice and um yeah. mingle with other guys that will give you feedback on your performance nsa for me has been a great backbone for me for you know 15 years or so now i suppose I still go to the events. I still learn lots of things from the events, and I still mix with uh, fellow speakers that can give me something to make me better next year than I was this year. Uh, and, and I think that's the key. Never think that you're at the top of your game and you'll always keep striving to be better. I mean, I, I even though we're very fortunate and we do quite well out of the industry and we get to speak to lots of you know large groups all over the world, I, I don't, for one minute, think that I'm at the top of my game. I, I'm thinking there's always somebody out there that's going to do a better job, so I've got to find a way to, to keep up. And I, I think that's probably key, is to, is to know that there's always somebody that has the same content that you've got on the same topics that you speak about, and is probably delivering it a little bit better than you. So what can you do tomorrow to be better than what you are today? And I think that's what makes the difference, what you just said, Troy, about coming from a state of humility and always realizing that you can always improve and always realize that there's someone better than you. I think I think the, the worst thing any entrepreneur can do is kind of always come from the place of arrogance because typically what it's going to do is going to dissuade people and it's going to, uh, you know, uh, repel people from wanting to work with you because no one really likes that arrogant attitude. I mean, there's, there's I try to tell people there's a difference between confidence and arrogance. Yeah. You know, like I always say arrogance is like Kanye West or like Donald Trump. That's like arrogance. <laughs> but confidence is more like someone like uh, let's see someone like yourself. Yeah. You know, you know. I mean, there's different standpoints, and I think it's important for any uh, entrepreneur to know the differences. Now, hey, you know, when, when a person reaches a status like. Kanye West or Donald Trump, perhaps they could be arrogant like that because they have all the money in the world and, and people are dying to work with them. But especially, you know, when, when you're anytime you're, you know, a mid-tier entrepreneur or if you're just getting started or you're struggling, uh, it's, 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 it's definitely uh, more important to come from a place of humility. Yeah. But as we come to a close, I'm Troy, um, perhaps you can tell uh, the listeners, um, how they can get, how they can follow you and how they can uh, get in contact. Yeah, with you. yeah, look, I'm probably one of the easiest guys in the world to find because I've got a strange name. So uh, TroyHazard.com is our site, uh, and if you just type in Troy Hazard into any search engine, you'll find me as the first 250 listings with a lot of video content and other things I can take home. If they go to my website, we, we've got a lot of two-minute videos that we do that are particularly designed for small business and startup entrepreneurs and guys that are starting their career it's all free so you know just just wander and have a look and um, that's where you'll find us great troy thank you for being our guest no worries mate thank you thank you for listening 
just another great episode by Callan Diggs, best-selling author and career strategist at Cena Fast Company and Inc. Magazine. If you're not on an email list, you're missing out. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and subscribe to get all the exclusives.